everybody that is high and mighty color i am bo ransdell and this is hero hero go show uh the past couple of weeks we have gone down some dark and twisted paths uh having looked at ichi the killer and battle royale uh but it's time now to turn our attention to a good old-fashioned ghost story when there is no more room in hell as a wise man once said uh enter pulse or cairo if you want to be a purist uh, joining me for a trip into the Yure Apocalypse is David Anders of Devour the Podcast fame, a show you might have heard me on once or twice and uh, and hopefully have listened to. Uh, David, welcome to the show. Thank you, well, sir. What am I leaving out? What are you doing? Um, oh, what am I doing? Chew uh, on this is on hiatus because I've been lazy and haven't wanted to sit down and record it. Also, I haven't really watched anything worth talking about. And um, Pixel Dreadful on YouTube. I'm currently playing through Resident Evil HD. That's right. Yes, and I would definitely recommend that because it, it, it like your frustration, is always a source of amusement for me. <laughs> and and especially in some of those uh, later games, boy, boy, those can be uh, I don't know a challenge maybe. But yeah. not in the the game sense of the word, more more of a challenge of endurance, I suppose. Yeah, I'm already kind of to the point where I hate that game. I just want it to be done because I'm sick of running back and forth. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, eh, I, we could go into a whole thing about that series, but uh, we're not here to talk about that, David. No. We're here to talk about a movie uh, called Pulse. Yeah, uh, it is uh, directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Um, who has done a number of uh, really good Japanese horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, this is... I don't know. I mean, I, th- I feel like this is the one that landed him on the map. Uh, I think so, yeah, outside of the uh, outside of Japan. Yeah, I mean, he had done, uh, as I refer to the, uh, the old IMDb ticker, um, yeah, I mean, he had done plenty of movies before this. Right. But eh, it's kind of after that he did, you know this and then loft and um seance was a television movie but that's actually a good example of his work but anyway he's he's an interesting director because um as you know kurosawa everyone knows uh you know akira kurosawa um i don't know that he's related i'll have to do i'll I'll do my homework on that later Mm -hmm. i'm doing all the interstitial stuff um but he it really feels like he is a director that has a vision and theme in mind, and boy, does he stick to it. Oh, absolutely. Um, so what we are going to do, as per usual on the show, we're going to take a, a stroll through the plot, and then we're going to try to figure out what it all means. Um, and uh, the another usual warning here, if you have not seen Pulse, uh, we are going to spoil the ever-living hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we No stone will go unturned. Uh, no, no you're a... Uh, left un un exercised. <laughs> I, I was grasping for that, but I feel like I landed it. Um, yeah, it's 
It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, please go see it and then come back and listen to the show. Uh, if you don't care about seeing the movie um, or have seen it already, then uh, then plow on through here. Uh, but you know you have been warned. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's get into this thing. There are this is kind of the story of two movies, right? There are really two storylines at work in this film. Yes, um, we have uh, Michi. Uh, who works at a greenhouse, I guess? They never really put a name to it. Yeah, it's something like that. It's a like an, a loft area greenhouse plant nursery thing. Yeah, I mean, there are employees, there are bosses. I'm just not sure what they're making or selling or producing. Yeah, uh, I have no idea. Kind of doesn't matter, but it, it's still one of those things of like, oh, maybe they're they're like plant researchers. And then I was reading a couple of synopses, and they refer to it as a plant shop. And I was like, eh, I don't know. This doesn't, <laughs> doesn't quite feel like a plant shop because there are no customers, and you would feel like that would be a thing that a plant shop would have. Right. Uh, but, eh, what are you going to do? So uh, so she's working at um, at the plant shop for lack of a better term, the greenhouse roof situation. Yes. And I assume is paid in orchids. <laughs> so, uh, the movie kind of starts with her trying to find, uh, their boss, uh, a guy named Taguchi who has a disc that they need. Oh, I didn't think he was the boss. I think he was just one of the other employees. Yeah, I think there's a bigger boss, but Taguchi's the first guy to to get. Okay, yeah, all he's like the manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if he were, if this were a Radio Shack, he would be the assistant manager. Okay, yeah, that and then sense. the manager would be dealing with weed to the kids in the back, like all Radio Shacks. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Michi uh, is the young lady who is kind of charged. Uh, well, first of all, let's, let's take a step back because the movie actually opens on a boat. Yes. With with this character Michi uh, talking to a guy we don't know, uh, mm. the captain, and magnificent hair. Oh man, it really is. There's actually a lot of good hair in this movie. Yeah, no shit. Uh, uh, um, was it Kamishua? Also, fantastic mm. hair. Yes, uh, Japanese David Carradine, as I referred to him. <laughs> David Carradine, you think? Maybe Leif Eriks. I don't know. Lee Erickson I could go with. Yeah, yeah. like some 70s poofy-haired crooner. Yeah, he's, like, I've used this description before on this show, Mm -hmm. but if you told me he was a member of the band Guitar Wolf, I would not argue the point. Yeah. Um, Really nice here. But, yeah, so we... So we get... uh, We start on the boat, and it's you know, a bit of a, a, a kind of a discussion about like, well, you know, death comes for us all and, and yada, yada, but we don't know what the hell is going on at this point. Right. So, and then cut to plant shop slash roof greenhouse slash probably they're growing weed. <laughs> so, so he, uh, so Michi goes to, to Gucci and he's, um, kind of, kind of out of sorts. Yeah. Uh, when when she first meets him, he's a he's a little uh, uh, a little quiet, acting a little weird, and so she's kind of bouncing around his apartment, like, "Hey, I came for the disc. Where's the disc? Is this the disc?" She turns around, and uh, Taguchi has done hung himself. David, yes, he did. 
And and it's actually one of my favorite hanging effects I've ever seen in a movie mm-hmm. because that neck is really stretched out real good. Oh yeah, it is. Um, and it's also what you would call um, a poor visit. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, like it is just not neighborly to hang yourself when you have guests. No, uh, we have said that on this show a number of times, and we stand by it. Um, but it, it really is a nice effect. It's it, it's really quite cool mm-hmm. um, and then so Michi goes back with the disc and uh, she and uh, Junko who's uh, another lady friend of hers mm-hmm. um, they are uh, checking the disc out seeing what's on there and it's pictures of Taguchi looking at his computer screen which also has an image of him looking at his computer screen on the monitor in the picture. Right. And in another monitor, kind of to the left of that, is a face. Mm-hmm. And that is where we we start to get the sense that shit is not going right. Right. I mean, there's a definite sense of foreboding from Jump with this movie. I mean, the atmosphere is, is incredibly tense and very thick, but this is our very first time where there's an indication that there's actually something happening. Yeah, I mean, it's a combination. The music is, is super somber yes. uh, in, in the film, and one of the tricks that they use a number of times, and if I forget to mention this later, I'll do it now, but there are times when they when they start talking about, like, you know, people's isolation and, and mm-hmm. blah, blah, like, all the sound will drop. Yeah. And you're just left with this image of a person generally framed alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really striking imagery throughout the film. But Oh, absolutely. Uh, some of that stuff is supremely creepy. Oh, yeah. Um, so, all right. So now that we've established that, let's introduce um, our other storyline, mm-hmm. which involves um, uh, Kamichiwa. And let me make sure I'm pronouncing that name right. Otherwise, I'm going to... Uh, Kawashima. Yeah. Sorry, Kawashima. So, Kawashima is a college student, has great hair, as we've yes. established. And Hawaiian shirts. And Hawaiian shirts. And at one point, a Gillies shirt, which is oh, pretty yeah. wonderful. Uh, yeah, he's he's the like Japanese college student. He He's really into Western culture. He's wearing jeans and t-shirts and... Yeah, I understand the internet, though. No, like, all right, so we see him, we meet him as he's going online for the first time. Right. And he has the instructions, it's great. Yeah, right. And he's like, you know, he's following, it's basically, you know, I assume made up Japanese equivalent of like America Online or something. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's the days of of the old dial-up modem, uh, which is, serves the film well because yes. it's an a grating, annoying sound, and and when you hear it, it it's kind of great in the film. But um, yeah, so he he goes through all his prompts of like I'm going to get online, and then uh, the first place that he's taken to once he actually does make it to, uh, I believe they call it the internet. Yes. Uh, that he sees uh, a site that's like, you know, have, do you want to talk to a ghost? And then it's just a dude in a chair with a bag on his head. Like, coming closer to the camera slash computer screen mm-hmm. and beginning to remove the bag on his head. And uh, our, our hero, Kawashima, 
very quickly shuts that shit down. Yep. Rightly. Yep. Just throws it all across the room. It's like, no, fuck this. Right. We are done here. Thanks, but no thanks. Yep. And uh, so... <laughs> the and, and there's other images, too. It, it's like, uh, you know... Pe- Images of people kind of alone in front of a computer desk or something. Yes. And um, it's that night that he, he falls asleep and the, the computer has turned itself on and is showing him the picture of the guy with the, the bag on his head. And uh, so he goes to find uh, some help. Not really. Like, here's the thing I love most about uh, Kawashima. Mm-hmm. Um, Kawashima kind of lets life happen to him. Yes, he is not. He's not what you would call a go-getter. No. Um, but he does. He heads in the general direction of a point. Yeah. You know, like he goes to the computer lab uh, at his college, um, and there he meets. Uh, I assumed at first she was a teacher. I think she's more of like a teaching assistant or something. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, a, a pretty lady named uh, Harue. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, "Hey, um, my computer did, did this weird shit. Like, can a computer come on by itself and take you to uh, the creepiest website you ever saw?" <laughs> <laughs> and and she's like, "Not as a rule." Uh, so how about this? The next time you see this, click on uh, click on the the image and try to bookmark it. And if that doesn't work, hit the uh, print the screen key. Uh, <laughs> Which there is no apparent Japanese equivalent for because no. it is one of those things that as you listen to the dialogue, you catch little bits, you know, uh, kind of that, you know, those English cognates that, that leap out at you. Right. And uh, print a screen is one that's just like, oh, yeah, print screen button. I got gotcha. you. I feel like I could teach computer science in Japan. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and he takes furious notes mm-hmm. uh, for click on the image. Try to bookmark it. If that doesn't work, hit print screen. But he's got he's got to have it down. Yep. Uh, which I think is pretty wonderful. Um, so uh, the next night, um, he's uh, like going. He goes back uh, to his computer, fires it up. It's still the creepy images, the, you know, dude in the room, and um, behind the guy with the bag. Mm-hmm the words help me are written all over the walls behind him. And, uh, Kawashima can't, uh, he can't bookmark it and he can't, uh, you know, uh, print the screen because when he does that, it just pr- prints a, a line that says like the forbidden room. Right. So now from there, we cut back to our, our grow room on top of this building which has now, in my mind, just completely devolved into a weed operation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Basically. It, it, it's, you know, it, it's just friendly folk uh, making the kindest bud for you yeah. uh, in, in all of Tokyo. So, uh, at this point, another co-worker of Michi's uh, named Yabe, she gets a phone call of a voice saying, help me over and over again. Mm. And um, when he checks his phone, Yabe is like, hey, this is the same picture that's on Taguchi's disc, and I'm going to go to Taguchi's apartment, uh, 
and there we find you know th- this big black stain um, on, on the wall where the dude hanged himself. Right. Uh, our, our good man Taguchi. And then there's a uh, a piece of paper in the in the room that says the the forbidden room, and th- he also notices that there is a door uh, sealed up with uh, red tape, mm-hmm. and because uh, you know it's a movie and this is what you do, uh, the the red tape is peeled back. The Which room, is a mistake. It's yeah. If you ever see, I don't care what color the tape is. Quite frankly. If you ever see a door completely sealed with duct tape, mm-hmm. you don't go in there. No, no you, you don't. don't. Um, you don't know what's. We, who knows what's in there? Nothing good. It could be a gas. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not even the supernatural explanations because I mean, clearly a ghost is going to be in there. But if it's not a ghost, it's still going to be something heinous, right? Um, so we go to um, uh, all right. So. After seeing the ghost, Yabe is um, depressed. Yeah. Uh, got a little bit of them ghost blues. <laughs> he starts starts writing music. Yep. Um, mostly in the the vein of Machines of, Lo- of Loving Grace. Mm-hmm. And um, ends up uh, just you know, becomes so uncommunicative that he basically, he says like, look, there's something, I saw something terrible in this forbidden room. And then Michi after this starts seeing people doing the same thing, like sealing doors with the red tape and stuff. Right. And also, um, a, a lady jumps off of a big water tower thing. Mm hmm. And leaps to her death as well. And basically, shit is just popping off left and right. Like yeah. everywhere you turn, somebody's doing something weird, or somebody's killing themselves, or just go, going good old fashioned missing. Yes. And uh, it's just it's it's a bad scene all around for everyone involved. Uh, particularly, you know, Michi, who is, um, you know, growing increasingly upset about. You know, the fact that, hey, like, people we work with are just going missing now. Something's really going on. And 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 honestly, man, this is kind of my favorite thing in movies. Mm-hmm. Is that moment of things are wrong. People are going missing or uh, whatever. You know, like, whether it's a zombie movie or ghost movie. Although, very few ghost movies involve a, an apocalypse like this one does. But, um I like it when you see society starting to break down, right? And a, and that handful of characters that's starting to figure it out. Um, I wish more movies were like that, but then you know, <laughs> I, I, I I'm such a uh, an easy guy to please when it comes to that stuff. Like it's one of the reasons I like that uh, sometimes crappy version of The Stand that miniseries. Oh yeah, um, just because some of those moments are actually really compelling. You know, like as like there, there's a scene later. And I know I'm jumping ahead, but there, there's a scene later where they kind of drive through Tokyo. Yeah, and it's it, it reminds me a bit of the scene from um, Open Your Eyes, the Cameron mm. Crow, yes, Tom Cruise movie, but where they they basically rented out Times Square so that for a moment in the film, Tom Cruise is in the middle of Times Square and there's not a single person around. Yeah, and 
like Tokyo is like New York, only more crowded. Oh yeah. And you know, here's this moment where you see, you know, these, these kind of Tokyo landmarks and, and storefronts and all that stuff. And there's just no one around. Like there's a car on fire and here's some smoke and here's some just people laying on the ground over here for no reason. And yeah, it's like that stuff just revs my engine in terms of being a movie watcher. Um, so yeah, so back to, uh, our, our good man, uh, Kawashima. Um, so while all that's going on with Michi and, uh, somebody, uh, close to Kawashima, like a, uh, buddy of his is like, Hey, um, I've seen a bunch of people around campus lately that kind of look like ghosts. Have you noticed that? (laughs) He's like, I don't know. And, and the buddy, and you know, as I alluded to earlier with the, uh, there's no more room in hell, but, um, kind of poses this theory of like, Hey, what if the afterlife is all booked up? And at a certain point, there's no room for new ghosts. Right. So where are they going to go? At some point, they've got to start spilling over into something, Mm -hmm. and our world seems likely. So all they've got to do is find the conduit from their world to ours. Right. And uh, enter the Internet. Um, And, you know, he's starting to see um, all, you know... uh, not not only is he starting to put things together, but like he's kind of working with um, Harve and and getting information from her, and she's trying to figure out with him. Mm-hmm. And they have this uh, discussion about immortality. Ultimately, of like I, you know, I'd want to be immortal. And if ghosts really were, you know, all full up at the end, then they'd want to keep us alive. They wouldn't want to want it to get more crowded. Right. So we'd just be alive. And uh, Harve. Uh, takes this in the most depressing way possible uh, by saying, yeah, they'd want to leave us trapped in our own loneliness forever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, you're kind of bringing the room down, but <laughs> I guess you got a point. Which is kind of the best explanation for what actually happens to these people that encounter the ghosts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to a point, but ultimately they they sort of just disappear yeah and 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 that's what we you know we might as well get into this right now because we see this uh, happen a couple of times in the movie yes where somebody will see a ghost or they have an encounter with a ghost it happens um as well with um junko junko uh who sees a ghost and then you know harue uh mm-hmm. she kind of takes a different route but it's it's sort of the same thing of once you encounter a ghost like this it just it just kind of drains you of all hope and possibility and optimism. Right. And kind of like watching this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. Like this movie is not, you know, like Ichi the killer, uh, is a fun movie. If you're the right kind of twisted. Right. Um, you know, a movie that we've done before, like, uh, Tokyo Gore police is a super fun movie. Yeah. Pulse is not fun. no, And it's kind of a movie you don't want to watch alone. No. And not because it's super scary, although there's plenty of creepy stuff in it. Yes. You just don't need that reminder. Yeah. You know? I mean, because that's the thrust of the whole movie is this idea of, like, leading these lonely, isolated lives 
then you find out, oh, death is just more of that, only worse. Because you're truly alone at that point. Eternal loneliness, I think is what what the ghost says. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, yeah, it's like, the the thought is horrifying uh, into itself. Yes. Um, That... You know, you you spend your whole life trying to connect with people and and form bonds and friendships and love and all that stuff, only to find when you die, all of that is stripped away and you're just this you know discorporeal thing wandering around with with no way to communicate with others. And you know, because uh, when they're having this discussion, they're talking about like you know, I always thought when you died, you got to be with your family and all the people who loved you, and that's not the case. It's just more of this isolated, lonely shit that we're living now. Yep. Um, yeah, it really is just the most emo movie in the world. <laughs> it, like the more the more I say it, the more I'm just like, God damn this movie. Um, so ultimately, he grabs uh, Haraway, who's who has had an encounter with a ghost at this point. Has, has, yeah. You know, basically, she ends up. Um, Fleeing with him on a subway line, she goes back to to her place. And, and it, one of the creepier moments in the movie is where when they're on this subway, and there's just no one else on it. Like, oh I, yeah, you know, you can see the the rocking of the cars, and just no one's around. And he's like, "Look, wait here for me for a second. I'm gonna go talk to the driver, figure out where we're headed." And as soon as soon as Kawashima stands up, she just totally fucks off out the train. Yep, and goes home, uh, goes to the Forbidden Room thing uh, on the website, and and watches the video to completion, where the, you know, the guy takes off the bag, presses a gun to the underside of his chin, and pulls the trigger. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so she's not okay after that. And then she goes... <laughs> She goes into her bedroom because we get an image on her computer screen through her bedroom door of her at her computer. Right. And she goes into that room and you see her kind of embrace something that's not there mm-hmm. and and says something to the effect of, you know, I thought I was going to be alone. And clearly implying that there's some other entity there that, that she feels like is going to be her company, even though she's all screwed in the head at this point. Yeah. And, uh, so Haraway, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Kawashima ends up going to her place. Can't find her. Um, then he takes off and this is at the point where the two stories kind of intersect. But prior to that, we let's catch up with Michi real quick. Because Michi has uh, kind of taken, like, Junko saw a ghost too. She's trying to take care of Junko. Mm -hmm. Junko is uh, constantly, like, pulling blankets on herself and that kind of thing. Yeah. And then she starts spouting off about being alone and all that. And uh, stands up, puts her back against the wall as, uh, as Michi is very kindly making her some tea and uh, Michi turns around and Junko is gone. There's just the stain on the wall where she was. Right. And then what I assume is people confetti floats around. Oh yeah. Cause the, the, the door is open and the wind blows the, uh, the black mark off the wall. Right. And then all that swirling around. 
Yep. And leaving Michi in, in maybe not a great place psychologically either. No, 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 no. Um, so she she gets on the phone with her mother um, and doesn't get an answer. Well, she gets an answer, but nobody speaks. Right. And so she takes off to go find her parents. When next we see our two main characters, it's Michi uh, asleep in her car. Right. Because she broke down somewhere. Right. She broke down on the way back from her parents, apparently. And then Kawashima is looting a, a soda machine. Yeah. And, and and sees her in the car and goes over to her, and that's where we hook up these two storylines. And Michi at that point is like, you know, through the conversation, we understand that Michi's mother and father are both either gone or, or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. she says, like, yeah, they, they're no longer with us. And she says, look, I'm, I basically don't have anywhere to go. Let me help you find your friend, Harue. Uh, so they go back to her apartment. She's not there. Then they, uh, Michi in an excellent bit of detective work is like, Hey, what about that big ass factory next door? And let's go check that joint out. Right. And so they go into the factory and there they do find Hardaway who now has a bag on her head Mm -hmm. and she pulls it off and then does exactly what the dude in the video does. She, you know, uh, put, puts the gun under her chin, pulls the trigger, and uh, then what we go from there, and obviously, like, they try to call the police and seven police don't answer because the world's falling apart, and yeah. everybody's either a ghost or a victim of a ghost at this point. And they take off, um, but as they're trying to get gas, uh, Kawashima goes back into the factory. Oh, right. To fill up the gas tank, and that's where the gas cap rolls into the room with the red tape, and the door has opened by itself. Again, terrible sign in these movies. You should not engage. That's very correct. And Uh, she told him to stay away from any red doors, and he didn't listen. Right, and I guess his character has always been like, you know, again, a little free-spirited, and an optimist and always trying to say like, you know what? I'm going to live for, they're going to, they're going to invent a shot. That's going to keep us alive forever in 10 years. We're going to be fine. Right. Um, you know, it's the, the arrogance of youth, if you will, the, the idea that you, you couldn't possibly ever die. So he goes, uh, into this room after the gas cap sees a ghost shimmering creepily. Yes. Um, and they, they have a bit of a conversation or the ghost is like, you know, death is eternal loneliness. And, uh, Kawashima to his credit is like, fuck you ghost. Uh, you're not real. I don't acknowledge death. And, uh, he, he's like, I'm going to turn around I'm going to grab you. And then I've got you. I don't know what his plan was. It's, it's sort of the Ray plan from ghostbusters, you know, like get her. Right. <laughs> So uh, that happens, and then when um, Michi finally comes looking uh, for uh, Kawashima, he is sitting beside the stain of what used to be Harue. Yep. And is all zonked out as everyone is after encountering a ghost, and, you know, all depressed and listless and can barely, you know, carry his own body weight and whatnot. Mm hmm. 
and she, he, and uh, Michi end up taking off. Uh, they go to uh, basically the the pier, find a boat, and are about to take off. They realize they don't have the key, so we have one last moment where Michi goes kind of into the belly of the beast and uh, in probably the signature scene of the movie is her heading back towards uh, this office where she's looking for the, the boat keys as a, a plane crashes in the distance. Yep. And then she rolls up into this place and it's all just these desiccated corpses you know, practically skeletons, just dusty skeletons stuck in poses, like leaning against the wall and laying on the floor. And then she finds boat keys, goes to the boat with uh, Kawashima, and um, then that catches us up to the beginning of the movie, which is them on this boat, only now she goes, you know, kind of below decks, uh, the captain uh, in his wild mane of hair, uh, says like, hey, we're going to go to Latin America. We're still getting some signals from there, so we're going to go check it out and see if there are survivors. Mm-hmm. And she asks him, you know, am I doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing here? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing a bang up job, you know, chin up. And then she goes downstairs, and uh, Kawashima um, basically just turns into a black stain. He's made it this far, but no farther. Yeah. And the movie ends with her saying. You know, now here, you know, kind of at the end of the world, uh, I found happiness alone with my only other friend. Right. And and they're into the movie. Except for a jaunty little ballad. Yes, of course. So that's that's really the story of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, would, did we leave anything out, any, anything that you can think of that is a gross omission in terms uh, of uh, plot line? Not really. It's more just visuals. Um, I mean, that is the, that is the plot of the movie. Uh, there's a lot of really just amazing visuals throughout the movie. Uh, there's the scene in the arcade where there's nobody there, and uh, what's-his-name is there by himself, and it's just eerie seeing an arcade, a Japanese arcade completely empty. Um, and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of shots of just wide open spaces, and it's very unnerving. <clears throat> well, in, in that arcade scene too is him encountering the, the the kind of dancing ghost. Oh, that's right. And yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. It, it's this really creepy scene of him, you know, alone at, at this one of those stupid. Uh, arcade games where you like drop a quarter in and then it lands on a flat plane and then a thing pushes yeah. all the coins forward and maybe some of them drop. It's just it's the, one of the shittiest like showbiz pizza games Yeah, uh, around. But that's what he's into and you know, Kawashima lives by his own rules. I respect that. <laughs> but but yeah, in that scene, you know, there there is that kind of creepy vibe of isolation and yeah. then you see somebody like in the he goes to the desk to try to get an attendant or something. Right. And then in the background you see somebody walk by. And then in the foreground another figure walks by. Right. And it's the one that's in the foreground that he he kind of catches sight of and, and goes to look at uh, look for, 
you know, this person. And it's just this black shape mm-hmm. that uh, slowly turns towards him and then does, um, you know, we, we talked about this a, a bit on the Juan episode, but a lot of the motions of these ghosts kind of come from uh, Kabuki and no theater in right. Japan. And it's that kind of movie. It's just this weird kind of wiggly move she has as she turns toward him. And and to his credit, Kawashima doesn't stick around. He's no, yeah, he's out. She, as soon as as soon as like shapeless black dancing ghost turns toward him, yeah, he he hauls ass uh, in a hurry. Pulse is a real downer of a movie. While the overt plot of the film is all about ghosts haunting people via the internet, the issue of suicide and depression looms large over the story, and there's no doubt that Japan has its issues with its population often doing themselves in, and this is not by any means a new phenomenon. In the years between 2007 and 2010, suicide was the leading cause of death for men aged 20 to 44. 71% of all suicides were men in 2007. In 2014, suicide became the leading cause of death for Japanese children aged 10 to 19. That sounds more ephemeral until you add that in 2009, 23,472 Japanese men and women took their own lives. High-profile figures like Toshikatsu Matsuoka, a cabinet member being investigated for an expense scandal, committed suicide, The then-mayor of Tokyo, Shintaro Ichihara, described Matsuoko as a true samurai for his actions. So, how did Japan get here? Way back in the feudal days of Japan, warriors would often commit seppuku, in which a samurai would use their sword to open up their abdomen, thus killing themselves before an inevitable defeat or in the event that they had performed dishonorably in combat. For these samurai... Death was preferable to dying at the hands of their enemy, and by opening themselves up, they released their spirits. This has become known as harakiri, a term for honor-based suicide. The famous use of kamikaze pilots in World War II is a great example of these honor suicides. The idea may have come from a military background, but the practice of harakiri has taken on a new and near-epidemic role in Japanese society. A lot of this comes from the idea of lifelong jobs. In traditional Japanese business culture, you find a job, you get hired, and you work for that company until you reach retirement age. With shifting business models, the Japanese workforce, particularly men, find themselves in positions of financial insecurity. Being unable to provide for one's own family, or simply to feel unsure where the next paycheck is coming from, well, that brings us to the concept of ame, or the idea of fitting in. Individuality and self-expression is highly valued in Western culture, much less so in the Japanese culture. The idea of ame is all about not rocking the boat. A member of society should be dependent on others and be accepted by them. Not fitting in? Well, it's a source of a lot of depression for Japanese men in particular. How others see you is traditionally far more important than how one sees him or herself. This can obviously lead to feelings of isolation and loneliness. The phenomenon has grown widespread enough that internet groups have formed to agree to meet for communal suicides. This is called Shinju. In the past, Shinju, or suicide packs, were formed by relatives and loved ones gathering together to commit suicide, sort of a Romeo and Juliet thing. 
With the advent of the internet, though, forums and websites have sprung up to consolidate like-minded people who want to engage in that most social of all pastimes, offing yourself. Unlike historical forms of Shinju, this modern, web-enabled version is not met with the same cultural tolerance. Media portrays these events as being ultimately meaningless as compared to the notion of the honor suicide. Meanwhile, bullying and financial insecurity continue to plague the young and old respectively, creating more cases of suicide. In yet another contrast with the West, Japanese society views the high number of suicides as a cultural issue rather than a public health issue. While Japan has dumped a lot of money into suicide prevention programs, the country often ignores the psychology of the individual, instead painting the issue as one of a lack of responsibility to one's family and fellow citizens. Though the number of suicides has decreased in recent years, the issues beneath remain. The Japanese economy is still not great and still in flux. Bullying and lack of social acceptance continues to plague children, and the culture still tolerates suicide as a reasonable solution to matters of honor. Look, Japan is a remarkably rich culture with a unique language and historical perspective. It's also a nation gripped by despair at times, and coupled with declining birth rates, the survival of the nation of Japan is no longer a ridiculous question to pose. I, for one, am fascinated to see how the country continues to evolve in the 21st century. But enough talk of suicide. Let's get back to David and talk about depression and existential angst, and maybe just a little more suicide. But, so when you reach the end of this movie, um, and yeah, I mean, there's a ton of visuals that all lead to the same thing, but when you walk right. away from this movie, what is it that you you think of? Not necessarily in terms of the plot, but like, you know, not to sound too pretentious, but, you know, what does the movie mean to you, David? Uh, it's fucking depressing. Like, that's the one thing I take away from it every time I watch it's just, God, God damn, it's depressing. Um, I think it's a, it's fascinating that it's this look at the way technology has, on the one hand, connected us, but on the other hand, has also distanced us from each other. And this came out in, like, 2001, which I find yep. incredibly creepy, considering how spot on it is. And now we're, you know, 2016, and it's this movie's only gotten more and more creepy because of it. Because yeah. of how completely distanced we are from each other, just on a human-to-human level. Yeah, there, there's a really good scene where they're at uh, Haraway's uh, apartment, and she's got kind of this weird bank of, of computer monitors. Yeah. And she's flipping them all on, and it's all pictures or you know images, like webcam images, of people in front of their computer desks just kind of staring at a screen. Right. And... She sort of makes the point then of like, you know, what's the difference between the living and the dead here? They're lonely and isolated and, you know, not making human connections. They don't, you know, it, the whole idea of the movie is loneliness and isolation. Yeah. Um, to, uh, up to and including, I would argue, like uh, Junko, um, like when she's seen the ghosts and whatnot and is all, all freaked out about it, uh, that... All of her actions are about moving away from people and covering herself. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, it's a very literal kind of isolation, but, you know, Kurosawa is not hiding 
what he he wants this movie to say, I don't think. No. Um, but yeah, you're right. The fact that this movie's 15 years old as of this recording. Um, you you listeners in the future, you'll do the math. Uh, <laughs> but it's yeah it it is incredibly prescient uh, as a film. Yes. Uh, you know, it was basically Kurosawa saying like, hey guys. We ought to be careful with this because if if we just isolate ourselves in front of computer screens, then ultimately, like what, as you said, you know, what what does human interaction mean anymore? Right. Um, And it makes that point. The other thing I think is really interesting about this is, you know, there's kind of a theme throughout a lot of modern Japanese horror when it comes to the idea of like the breakdown of the family and isolation and stuff like that. Um, this is one of the few movies that really gets into the idea of rampant suicide. Yeah, this one and uh, Suicide Club. Yeah, which we'll actually be doing next week. Um, nice. So Right. You know, bookending uh, the, the final two episodes of the season with just depression and suicide. That's Yeah, that's, that, that's the best way to do it. <laughs> you want to leave on a high note, and Suicide Club is, is, is our high note for season one. Oh, yeah. Uh, but there's also, you know, speaking of Guitar Wolf, um, but yeah, I mean, this movie definitely, you see like the first death you see is a guy who's hung himself. Um, a lot of the characters just lose all will to live and just fade away. Yeah. You know, which I think is kind of, uh, that's the interesting thing. It was like most of the characters we see die. There's only, only two named characters who commit suicide. And then there's the kind of the background one or two that we see. Everybody else just sort of fades away, or we don't ever see them again. Yeah, or they they leave that black stain and right. and and they're gone. And yeah, we I, just know that they were somebody was there. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's a fucking fantastic movie. Um, uh, I actually watched part of the making of that's on the DVD, and it's interesting to watch how the director basically just lets the actors act in a scene he doesn't really give him like strict like oh yeah you should stand here and then do this but like he does and there's a couple of points where he's like no no you should say this this way or you know do this but a lot of it's just you know let them go and watch them kind of do it and it makes them makes the movie feel much more natural um despite when they actually sit down and start talking it's these very heavy really deep conversations that you're almost like this is not how people talk but it kind of works for this story because of how fucking insane it is. Yeah. And the movie does a, a, a pretty good job of showing you the escalation. Oh yeah. You know, of like, Hey, you know, uh, the guy we work with isn't acting right all the way up to planes are falling out of the sky and we have to leave Tokyo. Yeah. Shit has gone South. Yeah. But but there are enough moments along the way where it's just like oh things are getting worse things are getting worse things are getting yeah. worse you know it, uh, there's a very nice escalation throughout the movie of it and it's very subtle too because it, it it takes a good like fifteen twenty minutes before we really start to get into anything remotely having to do with the like the ghost stuff at all and then it isn't until like Yabe goes into that forbidden room that we see our very first ghost and that scene fucking is terrifying yeah it really is an incredibly incredibly creepy scene and the one thing I like about this movie as well and and this kind of 
goes through a lot of the Asian films that we've talked about, like Shudder and stuff like that. Um, I like the fact that the ghosts are kind of just people. Yeah. You know, like this movie definitely puts a little shimmer and, and weird movement and stuff like that on it. Yeah, there, there's definitely CGI on the on the ghost, but you can still kind of tell that it's an actor that they just, you know, added some motion blur and fucked around with the speed a little bit on them. Yeah. But it works super well. Yeah, and the one in particular, the uh, the the kind of Kappa, the Ghost Kappa, yes, um, with Kawashima, when the ghost is kind of you know completely corporeal for a moment, mm-hmm. and then he he falls backwards, and the ghost starts coming towards him, and it is it's an agonizingly long shot, yeah, of the ghost coming closer and closer, but is never in focus. Like it's still kind of that weird blur. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the eyes are in perfect focus and it's like, well, that's terrifying. Thank you for that. Um, that's a thing that I assume only the devil sees, <laughs> but it, it really is. It, it's one of those moments in movies like, uh, the, the scene in Juan with the kid perched on the end of the bed and, oh, uh, yeah. and, and you know, the, uh, Oh God, what's her name? Not, um, Kyoko, yeah. uh, leaning over the bed. Uh, and I hit the mic as I'm describing this because everyone can see the motions. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, that scene terrifies me. Just the the construction of the shot, the way it looks, it it, it just horrifies me. Mm-hmm. And and the same thing happens here in Pulse. In that moment, when those eyes come into focus, I'm just like, all right, I'm done. Like okay. I, I I feel the same way. I would much rather lean my back against a wall and fade to nothingness than live in a world where this is just wandering around. Yeah, no, yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, but, but back to the suicide thing, though. Mm-hmm. You know, because we we danced around it, but you know, Japan has a real problem, or yes. certainly had a problem. I don't know I don't if they still do. I my I'm super behind on what's going on with Japan at the moment. Other than mobile is their big thing, and dating is a problem. Right, and the population is in in jeopardy. Uh, right. Yeah, uh, I, I I'm not sure. I don't know what the rates are, but you know, as of like the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I re- I seem to remember there being. It was definitely very prevalent in the movies that were coming out in the 2000s that were we were starting to get from Japan. There was definitely a lot of suicide imagery in them. Uh, suicide Club, obviously, being one of them. This one, um, Battle Royale has some of it. Oh sure, yeah, 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 um, and it just it just sort of permeates, and then of course we heard a lot about it, um, you know, stories of like, oh yeah, a group of school girls jumped in front of a fucking bus or something, or in front of a train, and you know, these fucking ridiculous mass suicides, and of course the suicide forest in Japan. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird cultural thing that, you know, here here's my really terrible interpretation of, of mm-hmm. why that's a problem, but you're dealing with a culture that is is built. And has been for thousands of years on the idea of like honor and shame mm. and and stuff like that. Like you, you know, there was a time, according to the movie Gung Ho, where <laughs> in Japan, you know, like if you were a bad employee, then you would just get like demerits and shouted at and like you know really humiliated. And there was this sense of if at a certain point in your life, and mostly you know, obviously, kind of middle to late middle aged males. Yes. Uh, that if you had not accomplished what you expected to in your life, you're probably not going to go ahead and kill yourself. That's more honorable than living off the government dole or whatever, you know? 
Um, that in in some cases death you know, death is better um, in Japan, uh, yes. which is how they marketed Pet Cemetery in Japan. By the way, <laughs> uh, kill yourself, just try. Um, <laughs> you'll come back. We promise. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it, it it was a real problem. Again, mm-hmm. you know, neither of us are saying that it, it still is, although it could be. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's a weird like for a while here in the U.S., you heard a lot of a lot about teen suicide when teen suicide rates spiked. Yeah, and, and I don't was... know what they were. they might not have ever tapered off. Who knows? But uh, I don't know. I think I think those kind of blew up again in the two thousands. Because I seem to remember, like, the early 90s, there was kind of that spike, and then it, like, tapered off for a long while, and then, like, mid-2000s, there was a big bu- big jump in uh, teen suicide again. Yeah, but with this movie in particular, there seems to be mm. such a direct correlation between the idea of isolation and loneliness and suicide. Like, in between, right. you've got that buffer of the ghost story, mm. but you have the cause and effect, you right. know, I'm sad, lonely, isolated, depressed, and now I've hung myself. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, and and the idea, maybe, in a weird way, this movie may be kind of an anti-suicide message. Uh, because, you know, the idea is like, yeah, once you're dead, though, that just goes forever. Yeah. You know, so why not be alive and among the living and, and, and yada yada uh, as long as possible? Mm-hmm. Um the other thing I want to pitch to you. Okay. So, you know, get in position, get the mitt ready, because this one's coming hot. Oh. Uh, <laughs> some, some hot theories. So, the idea of the yurei in, in Japanese culture okay. isn't just your run-of-the-mill, I died and now I'm a ghost. Okay. Okay? It is, uh, and again, this goes back to the Juan episode where we talked very explicitly about the different kinds of yurei and what that all meant and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, what it means is it is the spirit of someone who uh, was wronged, you know, kind of killed wrongly or died unsatisfied with things left to do. You know, it's the, the traditional ghost, not just like I died and I'm trapped here. Mm -hmm. It's like I died and there was some, some inner conflict that was unresolved. Okay. Okay. So that's sort of the distinction between yurei and your run-of-the-mill American meat and potatoes ghost. Right. <laughs> Good old-fashioned, born in Michigan ghost. <laughs> that's just a dude who died. Yep. Didn't do shit. When he's dead, doesn't want to do other shit. Maybe he's throwing a plate around. Who cares? Um, but Part you, of the union. Right. He's in the ghost union where it's like, ah, oh, Christ, i got to put in aid at the Johnson house. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna float a couple of pins around, and I don't know, man. I'm taking that union shit around two o'clock. That shoes up about forty five minutes. Me and my spectral poop. <laughs> spectral poop. <laughs> so, That's real good. I saw them with their original drummer. Uh, <laughs> it's a good show. Nice. But, <laughs> so, what was the point I was making? Oh, the point I was making. Uh, is that, all right, so my theory about Pulse, mm. the, what makes it more terrifying right? is that the reason there are so many yurei mm. is that everyone 
is kind of dying unfulfilled. Right. Like, nobody's leading a life to completion where, at the end of their lives, they die and they go on to, you know, Japanese heaven and they've got a little shrine in their kid's place and some incense burns and stuff like that. That's how, in a perfect world, in Japanese supernatural mythology, that's right. how it ought to go. Mm-hmm. You know, you die, you, you you look back on your life with some degree of, of uh, satisfaction, and and then, yeah, you go on. You look down over your family, they leave you gifts every now and again, and you just, you know, you make sure they're taken care of. Right. And that's what ghosts do. Yure are the, the wronged spirits, the vengeful spirits, technically. Right. And, and so Juan, the, you know, the grudge is all about a Yure that just continues to make more Yure as it kills people. Right. And so, yeah, the philosophy of this movie being, well, if everyone's dying in this state of, of feeling depressed and isolated and lonely and they're, they're, they're sad as they die and therefore they become these sad, mournful spirits. Right. Um, so, yeah, that is my, my pet theory is that's what makes this more terrifying is right. that it's not just your good old fashioned ghost, you know, Jimmy the ghost punching the clock. Right in Michigan, <laughs> uh, it's it's vengeful spirits for Beginzies coming through, and and so when they fade away, uh, as <laughs> sub theory B, David, is that when we see the the people who just kind of fade to black nothingness and blow away, right? They're not so much dying and becoming more yure. They're just kind of you know discorporating entirely. Yeah. And, no, yeah, that absolutely was kind of what I felt like. It right. seemed like that was probably what was happening with them. Right, that oblivion <laughs> becomes preferable. Yeah. That it's better to be nothing than this thing that's alone forever. Yeah, and I, I think that definitely speaks to the culture of, you know, the very hardworking and focused on job and kind of the, the identity crisis that you kind of read about occasionally when it comes to Japanese culture of how the older generation has things they're still very traditional about some things but the younger generation is very different and I think that that's definitely being touched on here in that we have nobody you know nobody's really satisfied with their lives because they kind of don't have any, they don't really know what they want and then all of a sudden you're being confronted with something that's like oh yeah hey guess what death is awful it's just loneliness forever so get used to it and right. it's just like, oh, great. So not only is my life shit now, but my afterlife is going to be more of the same. Awesome. I'm going to go sit here in this corner and then just cease to exist because fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. This, is, this is like the best depiction of what depression is like. It's like, oh, could I, can I do that? Can I just sit in that corner and just cease to exist because that would be awesome? Right. Can I just be nothing? That would be perfect right now, is right. to not think or feel or see ever, ever again. And then please open the window so my weird blackness can just fly away. Yeah. It, man, that, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it so, like, so clearly related to the idea of depression. Mm. But it, yeah, it certainly is. And and to you, David, and to the listeners, I apologize if you're catching some of this buzzing behind me. Uh, it is a fire alarm in a nearby building. I can't do anything about it. That's fine. So sorry about that. And uh, Stop you know, setting fires while you're on the show. I you know, I, but I do it with my mind, and it's when I get happy. <laughs> That's and, true. 
And that's like it, when I was watching Pulse, I was depressed. Right. And it didn't happen. But now talking to you, I'm I'm having a great time. Fires <laughs> everywhere. I, you right. know, I've become Charlie McGee. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I and I'm going to ruin it by pointing out that is a Firestarter reference only for people who have read Firestarter and seen the movie multiple times to remember <laughs> that fucking name. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> but. Yeah, it. I. I don't know. I'm. I'm curious. I wonder if if Kurosawa or like if he had experienced that kind of depression, or if it was just something that was so rampant mm-hmm. in the culture, yeah. and and something that just bubbled up in in all kinds of media, that it was just like, okay, I got to comment on this, and you know, I and and maybe as we edge towards conclusion here, mm-hmm. um, where we speed up a little bit. <laughs> Um, and go deeper, but, but we still nibble the neck. Um, (laughs) I don't know what Kurosawa ultimately wants us to believe. Right. You know, I don't think he's necessarily, he's not necessarily giving you a clear answer. Like this has a very depressing ending, but it's not a clear answer of what is going on or how you should feel at the end. It's kind of like when you the end of Martyrs, where you're just sort of like, all right, I don't know how to feel now. You've just given me a whole lot of philosophy to chew on, and I'm just going to sit here and feel awful. Yeah, yeah. And 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 also, even the last lines from Michi mm. are, you know, I'm alone with the, you know, my last friend, and I mm. found happiness here. Right. You know, is she talking about the captain? If she is, then that's a positive ending, and that's right. you know, kind of Kurosawa saying, you know, yet no matter how few people there are, as long as you're making some kind of real connection, mm-hmm. you know, because he does actually like touch her before she goes down, and there are a lot of scenes where you know characters are standing next to each other, sitting next to each other, and they don't touch. You yeah. know, it's just they're framed together, but they're never directly connected. Um. And I think, so I think if, if, if the fact is she's optimistic about like, Hey, we're going to find other people. We're doing the right thing, blah, blah, blah. Because to me, that question of, are we doing the right thing is, you know, are we continuing to exist? Is that the right thing is struggling against this oblivion, the right thing to do. Right. Um, and, but all right. So conversely, Mm. if we twist that, Flip the script, if you will, David. And she's actually talking about um, Kawashima, mm. who has disappeared into oblivion. Right. You know, as she's saying these lines, he's there one second, the next second, he's a stain. Um, if she's saying, like, oh, now I can find happiness in oblivion, he's kind of led the way for me, maybe. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. It. it you're right. I mean, I don't know that Martyrs is maybe not the example I would use because the end of that movie is... I think you can see that one of two clear ways. Right. And I think this movie isn't even that clean. In no, terms of and I don't, I don't think it, it's meant to be. Um, because Michi seems to have been the strongest character throughout. Like, there's... Like, she gets a lot of really good good scenes where she's clearly trying to like help other people and then she has the the i think she's pretty sure she's the one who has the conversation with her boss and the boss is like oh you know 
uh, things said in friendship are often taken the wrong way, and then everybody gets hurt. That yes, absolutely. And then, you know, yeah. if, if there's if friendship is gone, what's what's the point? It's just like, oh god, like I need this from you today. I know, right? Uh, and like, and that's what I mean. Like, there's some of those those these these some of these exchanges and dialogue are just so so unnatural, but it works because it feels like honest. Like it, like it makes sense that these characters say it almost feels kind of like, like you're watching a David Lynch movie almost, where it's like there's some weird shit happening here, and this dialogue doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it kind of does, and it's all fucking weird. Yeah, like nobody in the, or not no one, th- there are very few characters in this film that have just a normal conversation with one another. It's right. either it, it's it's either expository about like, well, here's what's going on with these computers and the images, mm-hmm. and maybe it's ghosts, and it's cleanly divided between that and what does it mean to be alone? Should right. do are do, are we born isolated? Like uh, the the character of uh, Harue. Um, she, when, when, uh, Kawashima is asking her about, uh, her friends and family mm-hmm. and she's like, well, you know, yeah, I've got a mother and father, but you know, it's nothing. Yeah. You know, it's irrelevant. Right. And I mean, again, the culturally speaking, you know, traditional family way more so than in the States mm-hmm. is, again, a thousands of year old thing. Like, you know, uh, and it's weird to talk about movies in a culture that, you know, you have to put an exponent by the number to get to the number of years older Japan is than the U S. Right. So we, there's just no comprehension, no easy comprehension of that kind of tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, like our traditions are like, you know, the Macy's Day Parade has been going on for 60 years. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, for several thousand years, the the family was considered the centerpiece of, of Japan, you know, and mm-hmm. with very distinct roles. And which is another thing that's interesting about this movie. Uh, so for listeners who have started this drinking game, when we <laughs> talk about how women are treated in Japanese films, go ahead and take your shot. Um you're right. I think Michi does more. She has more agency in this movie. Right. But n- still, when they are escaping and get on that boat, even though Kawashima is all jacked up, and right. even though Michi went into the den of horrors to retrieve the key, he's driving. He, he drives. He drives and her car, too. After he, he drives her car. It. Yeah. That's right. That even though it's her car, she took him to the boat, she got the key. At the end of the day, the man still drives, mm-hmm. and it and and a debilitated man is better than a healthy woman, according to this movie. Yeah. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it ain't all peaches and cream with Pulse uh, in terms of, of the way it treats women. But yes, I think they do have more agency in the film, and they 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 make important decisions. Unlike you know, a movie like Versus, there are three main characters. One of them's female, and she has almost nothing to do with the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is very different than that, so it, it it certainly feels like a step in the right direction through Western eyes, right? You know, um, but there there are still problematic moments. Uh, and when you've been watching as many of these movies as I have recently, boy, it just sticks out like a sore thumb sometimes. <laughs> Um, because this movie was doing doing so well, it almost turned off the radar for that, and right. in the end it came, and I was like, "Son of a bitch, you can't let her drive." Come on, <laughs> Kiyoshi. 
Kiyoshi. It's Ho. <laughs> let let her drive the boat. Um, I'll, I'll I'll even give you the car, just because she was tired. But the boat's her. Um, yeah. yeah. So it. Yeah, I don't. I think this movie isn't trying to hide what it's saying, but I don't think what it's saying is necessarily easily comprehended. No, not at all. And I think that's goes beyond just the language barrier and the cultural barrier. I think it's just there's a lot going on in this movie, period. And I think even if... I'd love to see what the, the response from the Japanese audiences were for this film. Because it's... It kind of... It seems to have flown under the radar here, despite the American remake, which was fucking terrible. Yeah, we should probably talk about that remake for two <laughs> seconds. Um, I, I'll i be honest. miss the point. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I haven't seen that movie since it came out. Yeah, and I remember thinking it was terrible then. Mm-hmm. And and that very thing, I was thinking about it, you know, before we recorded today, uh, of like, yeah, the, I don't remember much about that movie other than the scene with like putting all the pronouns together to make the face or whatever. Right. Um, I remember that scene, and I remember thinking, boy, they missed what made you know, Cairo, uh, the original polls so good. Yeah. I, uh, the, the American remake is basically just, Hey guys, ghosts in the internet. That's scary, right? Yeah. I mean, can, can you briefly, you know, synopsize that, that film? Cause I don't remember it well enough. I, I remember Kristen Bell was in it. I remember the face of, of pictures. Yeah. What, what were uh, the other big differences? Cause I don't recall. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was set in the U.S. or something or someplace. We, I don't remember. I think it was somewhere in the U.S. Um, they were still worked at some weird fucking job, but it was literally like ghosts on the internet, and the ghosts have broken through and are destroying everything, and like it just completely. It took the very surface level idea of what Pulse is, which is hey ghosts and the internet and that's real bad end of the world apocalypse thing happens and then just was like yeah no ghost internet apocalypse is fucking great oh so because again I don't recall but did they just miss entirely the like oh the idea of isolation and loneliness yes. and all that stuff yes. that, it, which it, is... it's literally ghosts and the internet cause the apocalypse okay and and better yet, if it's a group of friends who are getting picked off one by one, but still clinging together, because mm-hmm. then you're like, oh, you're totally missing the point of this. Yeah. Because uh, even when like we finally get the meeting of uh, uh, Michi and Kawashima in the film, mm-hmm. you know, like these two stories kind of kind of converging, there's still a, uh, this weird Lynchian discussion about like, well, are you a student? Yeah. You know, well, good for you. Uh, it's okay, I guess. Yeah, and you know, well, do you have a friend? Well, friend, maybe. I mean, one, I guess. Well, what, what was she like? Uh, I didn't really get a chance to know her. Right. Like, even then, it's like they're not connecting by talking about how he was not connecting. Right. You know, um, it's yeah, it, it really is kind of a genius film, and 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 Kurosawa um, also wrote it as well as directed it. So. Yes. You know, this is his baby. This was his comment on on the culture at the time. And as we've talked about on Devour the Podcast many times, right. if you want to know what's going on in a culture, look at its horror movies. Definitely, yeah. And, and man, like, between this audition and, and Ringu, 
mm. all came out within a year of one another. Oh, yeah. As well right. as Battle Royale. Yeah, because that was 2000, I think. 2000, 2001. Like, Ju- was 98, 99? Uh, I think that was 99. Yeah. Then Juan came. It's 2000. Yeah. And then Battle Royale was December 2000. Right. This was 2001. And then I want to say Suicide Club was 2002, 2003, maybe? Yeah, maybe so. But, I yeah. Mean, but, I mean, all of those movies, they're very different movies. Right. But all of those movies are kind of saying similar things about the culture, which is there is a real conflict happening mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the old versus the new, uh, the technology. I mean, like, it, it's a lot of these movies feel like someone telling kids to turn their damn radio down. Right. You know, there is a lot of fear of youth culture in, in these movies, like Suicide Club in particular. Is, oh, yeah, It's yeah. sick with it. Um but yeah, it it really is a surprisingly chewy movie philosophically. Uh, is Pulse? I don't I don't think a lot. Like it, it's easy to come away from this with the ghosts are coming through the internet and are making people go cray cray and then disappear. Right. Um, which is you know that's a spooky idea for sure. But yeah, the movie I think the real fear that comes out of this movie, I do think it is genuinely a scary movie Mm. is the, that, that other layer of you're going to die. You're going to die alone and you're going to be alone forever. And I don't know that there's much more chilling an idea that exists in the philosophical realm. No, Uh, absolutely. You know, um, man, it's a good movie, David. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I don't normally ask this. I mean, I, I you would recommend it, I assume. Oh, absolutely. All right. I've um, sung the praise of this movie for years. So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hipster. Even at the no, no, honestly, I liked I, it for years. I, I saw this. I, I think about ten years ago, um, which was during the time we were getting flooded with the. Uh, Japanese remakes here, and then the originals were being released on DVD, and I was still working at video stores. So I saw it on DVD, I want to say 2006, because I remember I was living in Fremont with my old roommates. And I watched up to the scene where Yabe is attacked, and I actually paused it and had my roommate come in and watch the movie with me because I was so fucking scared. Um,. And yeah, as it has ever since been one of those movies where I'm like, no, you have to watch this movie. It's fucking great. Don't watch the American remake. It's terrible. Watch this one. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so much of them, you know, I mean, we, we haven't really done a lot of, of movies yet that have had remakes. I mean, Juwan, Shimizu mm. did that. And, and I would argue Juwan and The Grudge are two sides of the same coin. Like, right. I, I, I think, you know, depending on which one you saw first, you prefer that one. Even though I, even though I had the like, I saw the Grudge first, then saw Juan, and I enjoyed Juan more now mm-hmm. that I've seen it multiple times and was able to figure out what the hell that narrative was. Right. You know, because when we did it on the show, we actually did the story chronologically. Right, right, right. And uh, and that way, it's like okay, the the scene that you see here actually 
happens way later chronologically and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Uh, and it made way more sense. Like after doing the show about Juan, I preferred Juan to the Grudge, and that's a turn I've made recently. Yeah, I definitely preferred Juan to the uh, the American Grudge. I I don't know why I didn't like it. It just didn't do anything for me. Yeah, w- that's weird to me because it's almost the same movie. Right, right. You know, but it's, I mean, I feel the same way about like Vanilla Sky and Eyes Wide Shut or um, Open Your Eyes. Like I prefer Open Your Eyes to Vanilla Sky. I think Vanilla Sky is a fine movie. But I just think there's something about Open Your Eyes that works better for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, there's very... And, and certainly, those are close comparisons, though, because those are almost the same film. Right, right, right. But then you get to stuff like Pulse, and um, Ringo's pretty close. Verbinski did a good job with, with The Ring. Yeah. Um, but, man, uh, what, what's a really egregious one that I'm, I'm forgetting? Hunger Games. Oh. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry, we did that last week, so. No, yeah. Um, ooh. Uh, I didn't see Shudder or One Miss Call. Oh, Shudder is terrible. But I know those were both supposed to be real bad. Yeah, Shudder's real bad. Talk about missing the point. Shudder yeah. completely screwed that story up. And uh, One Miss Call, I'm trying to, re- I, I remember that not being very good, but yeah. uh, Shudder is particularly, because I love Shudder. I think mm. Shudder is one of the scariest movies around. Okay. I have not seen that one yet. It's, ah, man, it, it really is terrifying to me. I, I think it's, it, it's wonderful. You should see it as soon as possible. Okay. All right. Cool. And check it out. You, you're gonna. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I'll tell you what, David. Uh, yes. I feel like we we should wrap her up uh, here okay. shortly because uh, now we're just we're just filleting this film. Yeah. Uh, along with Shutter, which you will fillet once you see it. Um, you'll have no choice, quite frankly. It's a, an aggressive film. Ah. It's it's like a Duke uh, rugby player. <laughs> I, probably have, I probably have the sport wrong there. Um, so, uh, before we get out of here, though, David, uh, yes. where can people uh, find you? On the on the social mediums and uh, and also, do you want to you want to tease anything about what we're doing tomorrow? Uh, yeah, social media stuff. Uh, I'm on Twitter occasionally. That's at D Delamorte. Uh, I'm on Instagram more frequently, which is I believe at David Delamorte. Um, Facebook, you can still I, the Devour page is still up on Facebook. I don't really check it out often anymore because I don't use facebook as much um yeah and then tomorrow as of the recording of this show uh we will be getting together with uh jamie jamie jammins that's her new name jamie jammins is pretty great yeah i'm on board all right otherwise she's still jj um we will be getting together for our first official uh devour quarterly because the first one got lost due to audio issues uh, but any, anything more you want to say about it? I, I cut you off because Jamie Jammins is one of the best oh, no, no, lately. Right? Um, yeah, that's coming up. Uh, Pixel Dreadful. Look that up on the YouTube. I'm currently playing through Resident Evil HD. Uh, I think I've got episode five is up. Uh, start splitting them into fifteen minute videos. Uh, but the playlist is available, so just look up Pixel Dreadful. You'll find it. Um. Yeah, and I'm supposed to be starting a Walker Texas Ranger podcast with a former coworker, but he has not gotten back in touch with me about recording. So I've now sat and watched that trailer, that uh, pilot. 
And that's a thing that I did. That is... That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, it is. But I, that's why I love it. Uh, it totally is. Oh my goodness. We're gonna go episode by episode through all however many goddamn seasons there are. Do you are. know how many there are? There've gotta be like 15 seasons of that thing. I th- yeah, something like that. It's There's a lot. There's a lot. Like, I have had pets be <laughs> born and die in the run of that show. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, uh, you're you're stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Because that's all. That's that's a real funny gag for four or five episodes, and then when you're on the second episode where Walker busts up the local drug cartel, and you're like, I got fourteen more seasons of this. <laughs> that's that's where you lean against the wall and you fade in, into oblivion. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's. I'm gonna pulse my way right out of this podcast. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that will probably happen, or I will just become an alcoholic. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, sorry, listeners, but you know, sometimes when when David and I have worked together as long as we have, mm-hmm. I the podcast gets a little loose. Yeah, it does. Uh, so, and that's a teaser for uh, the Devour the Podcast uh, roundtable reunion, reunion, whatever it is, hoot nanny. Yeah, just a, a good old fashioned DTP hoot nanny. Basically, yeah. I mean, Jamie Yard brought the crazy talk in the group chat. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> um, so, all right, well, we'll uh, we'll we'll get out of here. Uh, that is Pulse. It is a taut and creepy vision of the end of the world from renowned director Kiyoshi Kurosawa, and we will see him again on this show. I assure you, his yep. name will his name will come up. Yeah, probably. Yep. Uh, big thanks. Uh, once more to David Anders uh, for coming around to chat. Yeah, of course. And uh, here at uh, Hero Hero Go Show, here's how you can find us, folks. Uh, and please do. Uh, you can email us at Hero Hero at legionpodcasts.com. Uh, you can hop over on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hero Hero Go Show. Um, and also on the iTunes. And, uh, and let me get real with everyone for a minute. Uh, the way that the show gets visibility is through iTunes ratings and reviews predominantly. Um, so please, if you're enjoying the show, take a minute, hop over to iTunes. Even if, if iTunes is not where you listen to the show, still go over to iTunes, uh, leave us a, a rating and review and, and let us know how you're enjoying the show. Uh, and also, uh, a final word to, uh, the listeners of the show. Um, so, uh, we were the most downloaded show on Legion Podcasts uh, last month. Yep. And I'll be damned if it doesn't look like we're going to do it again this month. Um, and I just want to say thanks uh, to everyone who is listening. You guys are are amazing, and, and I'm uh, incredibly humbled by that. Like, it, it's weird because uh, forever, uh, since I've been doing the, the network stuff, right. like, never once have I had a show that was in the top three. Like I've guested on shows that were in the top three, but I've never. I've I never, think Devour was a couple times. Yeah, but I wasn't really running it then. Oh right, right, right. So like after that, when I actually started running the network, but before or after you were, and you right. had laid all the groundwork for all that stuff, and then, uh, but it, yeah, but so since I've been doing it personally, mm-hmm. I've never been on a show or never hosted a show that was top three. 
and now I, I think we're going to have two consecutive months where we were the the number one most downloaded show, and and it is like I am gobsmacked. So uh, I appreciate everyone listening to the show, and and uh, who knew that me talking about um, Asian horror movies with uh, with some really interesting people uh, would would take off. So thanks again, everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You you know what? A round of applause for you, listeners. For yeah. you guys, you you applaud yourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. That's quality pandering. Uh, until next week's finale, the finale of season one. Can you believe it? And then we're going to take a little time off and uh, and get some more movies together. Um, so until the finale next week, I'm Bo Ranstall saying goodnight for myself and David Anders once more. And now, as much disacode as I can legally play for you. Goodnight. Is everybody ready?
いよ」